invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. <clears throat> all right y'all know the video that you know the, the the video illustrates what we've just heard in the scripture from the God, or from the book of jonah chapter three and so i hope um as we begin this morning i just want to thank you all for being here and i hope everyone had a great fourth of july celebration this past week as we took time to celebrate our independence and our freedom uh, for our family it meant staying home which was wonderful and not really doing anything um, <laughs> which was pretty nice. Um, I also want to take a minute, I shared with you all last week that uh, last weekend we offered a vacation Bible school for 42 uh, elementary and younger children, and so thank you to everyone again who was part of that. Um, I liked the format and the shorter uh, and more intensive time with the children. I know they had a great time as we also talked about the story of Jonah and we talked about the faithfulness of God um, even when we're not always faithful. And so to those who helped coordinate, decorate, serve, uh, prepare meals, or helped with a group, thank you so much. Although I do have to say, and I was talking to Mindy about this, uh, a day and a half vacation Bible school tired is pretty much the same as five days in a row vacation Bible school tired. So um, today we're on our third Sunday of, of this sermon series as we're going through this short book of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. Uh, for the past two Sundays, we have looked at a single chapter of this book of the Bible each week as we've talked about it and thought about it. And so the first week we looked at jo Jonah chapter 1, where Jonah receives a message from God to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. As you all know the story, Jonah decides that why God tells him to go to Nineveh, that he didn't want to take the message to the Ninevites. Because the Ninevites, whereas, uh, that was the city of Assyria, and the Assyrians, Assyrians were the enemy of Israel. They had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And so Jonah is saying, do you want me to take this message of repentance <clears throat> to these people that are enemies of those of us who live in the northern kingdom of Israel? So we know the story, and Jonah uh, books a, a, a passage on a ship to a city called Tarshish, which would be in southern Spain today. You can see on the map the distances. 
And so Jonah gets on this boat, and along their way, the Lord causes a great storm to occur on the Mediterranean. And so as the sailors tossed everything off of the ship, and they later find Jonah, and they cast lots to decide who brought this storm on them, and the lot falls on Jonah, he tells them admirably that he is running from God and to throw them into the sea. So the sailors did, the storm was calmed, And as we looked in Jonah chapter 1, we saw that sometimes living and at least being faithful to God, others can come to believe because if they see your actions, they hear your story. Because at the end of Jonah chapter 1, if you'll remember with me, the sailors didn't just go on their way and forget what had happened, but Scripture tells us that the sailors prepared a sacrifice and they prayed to God and it said that they began to fear God because of what they had seen. And so Jonah, in essence, through his running from God, was able to show the people, show these sailors, who worshipped many other gods before learning of the God of Israel, he was able to show them in his faithfulness, even in running from God, of who the God of Israel was and of who they truly needed to be worshipping. Last week we read from the the prayer that that Jonah shared in Jonah chapter 2 from the belly of the fish. If you go and if you read it, and what strikes me as I read this prayer is it's not a prayer of woe is me. Jonah isn't crying, woe is me, I'm in an awful place, everything is against me, woe is me. What he is saying and what he begins with is thankfulness. Because he recognized even being in that place that God's protection was with him. He recognized even being in a place that in no way he would have picked for himself that God was with him. And I think Jonah realized that even as the sailors tossed him into the water, he expected that to be the end of his story, but God had a plan. And Jonah was able to see God's providence and God's rescuing of him. He saw God's protection even as he remained alive for those three days and three nights. And so his prayer that we read about last week was a prayer of gratitude. Where even in his hardest time, Jonah could offer thanks to God. And he did so without a guarantee that he would be delivered or rescued further. But he did it. And as he did so, he gave God thanks. And in giving God thanks, he recognized that his welfare and his existence was due to God and that he would be faithful to whatever God's plan was for him to go from that point on. And so this morning we're reading from Jonah chapter 3. Jonah's been spit out on the shore, and, and God tells him again the shortest prophecy if you go and look in the Old Testament. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. That's pretty easy, isn't it? But here's the first thing that I think we can learn from Jonah's story is God doesn't change his plan for Jonah even after his running, does he? God doesn't change his intent and his purpose for what he wants Jonah to be doing, even after Jonah has run from him, even after Jonah has attempted to go as far away from him as possible, even as Jonah has spent time in the belly of the fish, God's plan hasn't changed for him. And I think that's interesting and something for us to learn and something for us to remember is there may be times that you and I feel like God has called us to do something that we don't want to do. Jonah ran. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Jonah was rescued. But if you'll notice, the message up here is the exact same message that we read in Jonah chapter 1, isn't it? 
God's plan for Jonah didn't change. And so sometimes I think we have the temptation, don't we, that if we think, if we put off whatever we feel God is calling us to do, that it's going to change God's call for our lives. Folks, I think Jonah thought that was going to happen, and wasn't he mistaken? Because Jonah still had to do what what he was called to do. He still had to do and to follow through that message that um, God had already given him. I mean, it kind of makes me think of people that, um, I mean, ministry is a good example of, of the people I know who, you know, in college felt called into the ministry and decided to pursue something else. And then in their 40s are like, well, yeah, I should have been a minister for the last 20 years, but uh, I kind of did my own thing. I mean, I think other examples of that, I mean, you can think of people in your life that, that have done other things that obviously felt like they needed to be doing one thing, but they pursued a different thing. Friends, here's the thing is God's call on our lives doesn't change, does it? Jonah ran, Jonah fled, and God still had a plan for him, and his plan didn't change. All Jonah's fleeing did was prolong his delivering the message. He could have gone, he could have been done. Instead, he tries to run, and God doesn't set him aside. God doesn't give him a reprieve. God still has a message for him. And the message for Jonah was, no matter what you've done, you're still the one that's taken the message to Nineveh. And I want you to be the one to do that. Friends, our temptation is to do the same thing as Jonah. To put off the message that we know that God has given us. To put off doing the thing that we know needs to be done because it's uncomfortable. Or maybe it makes someone else uncomfortable. To put off making that decision for our faith. But look at Jonah. Putting it off sometimes just makes it harder for us, doesn't it? Because often when we're pursuing things of God, God, you know, God's with us whenever we, we, we strive to be faithful, whenever we strive to be true to what we believe and to what we know He is and expects of us. See, Jonah tried to run. But God's plan for him was still there. All he did was prolong what he needed to do and, and getting it done. Now, to his credit, when Jonah received this message a second time, he goes. He begins this journey to the great city. You know, um, so the, the scripture tells us in, in Jonah chapter 3 that, you know, the, the fish or whatever spit Jonah up on the shore. And so obviously, you know, the Mediterranean Sea is to my left, and you'll see the arrow way up there in the upper right. Someone borrowed my laser pointer a few weeks ago and hasn't brought it back to church. Addison. Um, I would have my laser pointer. Um, anyway, uh, you can see the, the up here in the upper right is Nineveh. And so just to give us an idea of the distance. And Nineveh, there is a, an archaeological site that exists today that, that you can go and walk the ancient foundations of the walls of Nineveh. And so this is accurate in us knowing where Nineveh was. And so I want us to look at that and to think Jonah's faithfulness still led on him having to make a trip. So it wasn't like, you know, this, this fish, like he was delivered on the shore of, of, the, of the Mediterranean and then he was just able to walk into the city and deliver his message and he was done. Jonah had to go. He had to go to the city and he had to go and offer them this message of repentance. 
He had to make this journey to actually deliver the message. There's still commitment on his part. There is still action required of him. And so when he gets to Nineveh, the scripture tells us that he walked one day in and immediately started delivering the message. Forty days and the city of Nineveh would be overthrown. That's it. Jonah doesn't list any specific list of sins that they're committing. He doesn't talk about them worshiping other gods or idols or, or doing anything or any practices that are abhorrent to God. Jonah doesn't list anything except 40 days and the city will be no more. He doesn't tell them what they need to do in order to get right with God, does he? He just delivers a timeline, 40 days, and a consequence, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Nothing else. So think about Jonah. He's walking through this city, inviting a people to repent who he doesn't really want them to repent. In fact, if it was his choice, he would prefer Nineveh to be destroyed by God. This is Nineveh. These are the Assyrians. This is the nation that has conquered and oppressed his own. He doesn't wholeheartedly want the Ninevites to repent. He doesn't want them to be saved. So he delivers his message. And he delivers them this way. Look at his message and his words of, of repentance that he offers to the Ninevites and compare them to any of the other messages from the Old Testament prophets that you can think of. I mean, think of the, the prophecies of, of Isaiah or, or, um, well, I, or Jeremiah. They're prophecies of hope. Is Jonah giving any words of hope to Nineveh? Forty days, you'll be destroyed. The end. That's not hope. These aren't even words. Well, they're really just words of promise, but not in a good way. In fact, there's not even a promise to Nineveh if they follow and if they actually begin repenting and turning from their ways, that God's going to do anything different. I mean, this is about as bare of a prophecy as you can get. And I think part of that's because God had just that message for Jonah, but I also think that part of it is Jonah's heart wasn't really in it. And so he's bringing just what he believes God and knows God wants him to bring. <clears throat> But he still delivers this message, and it's still an invitation to repentance. He delivers a message to the people of this great city, and much to his surprise, and I think frustration, as we'll see next week, they repented. The people heard the message, and as Jonah went through the city, the people passed this message on from one person to another until eventually the entire city had heard of this message from this Hebrew prophet from far away. Then this message, as we read in our scripture today, reached the palace. This isn't Jonah going to the palace and talking to the king. This isn't Jonah going like Moses and standing before Pharaoh and, and waving his staff and telling him what was going to happen. This is word of mouth. And this word of mouth, this message was passed on from person to person until it reached someone in the palace and the palace people began talking about it. And then it reached the nobles and then the nobles began talking about it. And then it got to the king and the king knew about it. 
And so a decree was issued, even the king began to repent, where he said, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then he says this, Who knows? God may relent, and with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Friends, the Ninevites aren't even guaranteed that they're going to be saved, but they're willing to do it. They repented on the words of a prophet whose heart wasn't really in it. They repented on the words of the God of Israel, a God who had not yet been their God, but they did so in hope because they believed that Jonah's message was real and that God could and do good and would do what had been foretold. They repented on the briefest of messages, and in their repentance, they were saved. This isn't a long, drawn-out act that they were required to do. This wasn't them going into the streets or having to go through ritual or tradition or anything else. This was repenting, and they were saved. And I think this gives us a great example of us. Is that God doesn't require an elaborate act or series of acts for us to be followers of Him. You know, in Romans you can read where Paul goes to great length of, of telling the church what is required to them to be a follower of Jesus. You know, there's this great um, discussion between Paul and, and all of these, these early Christians who grew up first Jewish. And they're trying to determine what it means for Jew and Gentile to be able to worship Jesus Christ and to be followers of Jesus Christ together. And so they go, and, and of course the, the Jewish Christians are saying, well, first you must be Jewish, and that means you must follow all the acts of, of circumcision and of purity and of, of maintaining cleanliness. And then you have the Gentiles saying, well, you know, but no, that's not what we've received. And so you have Paul and Peter and others who are early leaders in the church that are weighing into this, and, and God is giving them visions and dreams and speaking to them to where they understand and they realize that all that is needed is the grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness in Him and belief in order to become a follower of Him. I mean, if this church in the early Christian church is trying to determine whether followers of Christ should participate in the ancient rituals, Paul tells them it's not necessary. And that's all that's necessary is the following. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, all the other things that we know of and that we read of in the Scripture and that we understand from teaching and tradition and the creeds and everything else, they help us to grow in this. They help us to build on this. They help us to establish our faith to where we are living life in response to the grace that God has given us, in response to the salvation that Jesus has offered us, in response to, to all that we've been given as we seek to live in community with one another. But folks, the message that Paul gives us in Romans is exactly like the message. It's short. 
Because what does he say to the church? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Our temptation is to make our faith so much more than it needs to be. But at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to seize the core of what it means to be a Christian. To declare with your mouth the lordship of Jesus and to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. You will be saved. See, Jonah went to the people of Nineveh, and his message for them was an easy one, wasn't it? Forty days, and you will be no more. They repented and believed. What a greater message that we have. That if you believe with Jesus Christ, if you declare in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just as short, but it's so much more powerful. Because in those words is hope, it's grace, and it's the opportunity for relationship, both individually with God and also in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in faith. But all we have to do is declare and believe in our hearts. Amen.